I wanted to say glory to God before I go any further today. This is it. This, this morning, this is the reason why we gather together. Why we gather together. I remember the first year I was here, my first Easter uh, at Ferris Church of Christ, I went to uh, one of our elders and I asked if, if they had any advice, if they had anything they wanted to offer for me, kind of putting together my first uh, Resurrection Sunday message. And I was told that's kind of our main point. I'm not sure what else to say about it. And really, that is it. That is it. That is our main point. The grave has been conquered, and Jesus has beaten death. Amen? This is a, a day in which we gather uh, for the whole purpose of offering something exclamatory. We have something to proclaim, something that the whole world cannot offer. No one. When I was a kid, I used to uh, play a game with my older brother entitled uh, Rock, Paper, Scissors. Anybody ever play Rock, Paper, Scissors? I can't play it right now. Not very good at it. Anybody, anybody out there knows how to play Rock, Paper, Scissors? Does anybody want to offer a, a demonstration? How, how do you play Rock, Paper, Scissors? Did you teach her that? I, I didn't teach her that. Who taught her that? Okay. <laughs> this was not planned, ladies and gentlemen. Um, yeah, rock, paper, scissors. Did my brother teach you rock, paper, scissors? Just, okay. So it's, it's my experience that it's all fun with, rake, uh, with, with rock, paper, scissors until someone uh, sneaks in dynamite, right? And that kind of. But. Okay, so it's Hannah's fault. Okay. <laughs> Improvisation, folks. But there are certain plays within the game of rock, paper, scissors that are unchangeable. Another word we could offer is non-negotiable, right? I went to the uh, surgeon this last week, and I heard that word non-negotiable. As in, I was told I was going to have to keep my arm up, and I said, well, I'll keep my arm up. I'll do the best I can do to keep it elevated if I can go without having a cast. He said that's non-negotiable, the cast. So I thought of that as I was putting this together. In rock, paper, scissors, there are certain things that are non-negotiable, right? We have paper, paper covers, that, that, that's what they're gonna be doing for the whole hour. Paper, <laughs> paper covers rock, right? That's, that's, uh, that's, the, way it, that's the way it works. Scissors uh, cut paper. Rock smashes scissors. And if somebody uh, happens to sneak in dynamite, that's when it gets interesting, because that's like the wild card. But Jesus beats death, and that's non-negotiable. And that's the whole sermon. You can go home now. I'll talk a little longer. But Jesus' victory over death is unchangeable, is guaranteed. And we can celebrate a living Savior apart from everybody else because of rock, paper, scissors. All the wise men, all the traditions, all the prophets, all the philosophers, all the other so-called gods of this world pale in comparison. They don't even come close. There's something unique about Jesus Christ. The world recognizes this. In the original Greek language of our Bibles, the word for resurrection, this act by which Jesus actually physically, literally rose out of the grave 2,000 years ago, 
It's this word anastasis. One year, I preached an entire message that, and talked about that for about 40 minutes. Uh, all about this word anastasis. There's a, a popular rock guitarist of which I'm a fan. His name is uh, Trey Anastasio. This surname, Anastasio, is rooted in this Greek word, anastasis. It's a word which comes up several times in the New Testament. And so it's a good thing that we discuss it. Matter of fact, in the Gospel of John, chapter 11, when Jesus says, verse 25, I'm the resurrection and the life, this Greek word, uh, anastasis, is what we directly translate into the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 12, Revelation 20, verse 5 are, are a couple other places. There's actually around 40 other instances in the original Greek manuscripts in which anastasis, or a variation of this word, is used. There's your Greek lesson for the morning. You can't say it's all Greek to you now. Jesus didn't just appear to rise from the grave. Didn't just appear. Wasn't just smoke and mirrors. That's what sets him apart. He wasn't just resuscitated. That's a different word, different Greek word. He was resurrected. Because Jesus beat death, actually physically beat death, we who follow Christ, we have the hope that Jesus is exactly who he has claimed to be because of the resurrection. Now, everything leading up to the resurrection of Jesus was important too, and we don't want to dismiss it. But without Christ's victory over the grave... We may as well go home. I mean, the breakfast was good. It, it, and thank you for everyone that, that contributed. It was excellent. And, and I enjoyed it immensely. But none of it matters without the resurrection. None of it matters. We're just, we're just another group gathered somewhere doing something because we all agree on a few things. Paul writes to the church in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. The entire Christian faith hangs on Jesus beats death. C.S. Lewis said, to preach Christianity meant to the apostles, to Christ's immediate followers, to preach the resurrection. He goes on, the resurrection is the central theme in every Christian sermon reported in the book of Acts. The New Testament writers speak as if Christ's achievement in rising from the dead was the first event of its kind in the whole history of the universe. It was. You see, no one before Jesus, no one after Jesus has been able to claim the place of Jesus because Jesus beats death. Turn with me in your Bibles, please, again to Matthew chapter 28. We heard it this morning. We'll, we'll read through it again, verses 1 to 10. Matthew's account of, of that resurrection Sunday morning. Verse 1 begins, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. This, of course, being the tomb where Jesus was laid after the crucifixion. Verse 2, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come see the place where he lay. 
Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. Verse 8. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to him, said to them, excuse me, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. That's the end of our text. You know, as I read this account of, of Christ's resurrection, I always stop and think a little bit about the, the other characters in the story. I start thinking about those that had been following Jesus. Can't imagine myself uh, in anyone else's shoes except those earliest of, of Christians. You know, even before they were called Christians, the events prior to the resurrection, what might have been going through my mind? It would appear that right after Good Friday, the death had beaten Jesus, right? Nietzsche's right, God's dead. Just imagine what had been going through the minds of these AD 30 Christ followers. Just imagine. Spiritual trains probably running just a little low on soul coal. Morale of these guys, they'd lived with Jesus, personally mentored by Jesus for three years straight. That's a chunk of time. You think it was down just a little after Good Friday, after the events, after the crucifixion. I know there's been times in my life in which that's happened. Maybe, maybe the same has happened to you. You feel, pew, you're just running a little low, a little low on faith. Maybe it creeps in slowly, but maybe then it goes on. Maybe it continues for a few days or weeks or, or months or, or maybe years, but then something happens. Something happens in the journey, maybe when you're least expecting it, you get some kind of a spiritual boost of some kind. Has this, has this happened to you as a, as a Christ follower? Sometimes God drops in one day when you're least expecting it just to say greetings. Do you know what I'm talking about? Has this ever happened to you as a follower of Christ? Maybe God will do something extraordinary in real time to shake you out of where you're at. Maybe if nothing more than reminding you somehow that you're a part of his plan on his timeline, he's not just a part of yours. I've been there in my faith. I'd imagine that something similar happened to the faith of the other people in this story, of Mary and Mary Magdalene and, and the disciples. Imagine this weekend. You know, you'd like to say you've had a, a hard weekend. Imagine the other characters in this story. We've experienced doubt, a world of doubt. Imagine the world of doubt these folks had gone through. All that time following Jesus Christ. Who would expect a crucifixion and burial, right? Who would have seen it coming? Do you remember what Jesus told the disciples in Mark 8.31? Jesus said, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and when he is killed after three days, he will rise. Jesus said this. Rock, paper, scissors, Jesus beats death. Mark 8.32 goes on to say they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. So even though it was Resurrection Sunday morning, Jesus said it would happen. It wasn't expected that it would happen. It wasn't expected it was coming. 
And maybe you're sitting here, you're wondering, weren't we just here two days ago? Wasn't that Friday? So how do we get three days? We celebrated the last day on Friday night at Ferris, beginning with the upper room and ending at the cross. Day one began. Sundown on Thursday ended at Good Friday on sundown. That's how you count like an ancient Hebrew. And then day two began at sundown on Friday, and it ended at Saturday on sundown on the Sabbath. Day three began Saturday evening, and it ended Sunday at sundown. Here's Mark 8, 31, played out before us. Evening and there was morning. But the disciples, counting like an ancient Hebrew or not, they weren't expecting. They weren't expecting it. And I wonder if when that Sabbath day hit, those disciples were even wondering if Jesus really was who, who he claimed to be. Who are we going to follow now? What are we going to do? But Jesus knew this was coming. Jesus knew after he was crucified the kind of disbelief coming from those disciples. He knew his followers were going to uh, go from being on cloud nine on Palm Sunday as he rode a donkey a week ago into the city, triumphant, shouting Hosanna, to total shock and disbelief on Good Friday, crucifixion to feelings of complete abandonment on Saturday. So what did Jesus do? What did he do to bring them around? God dropped by, didn't he? And Jesus shows up. Greetings! And I love it. I love that this is the first thing out of his mouth here. When Jesus shows up with a simple greetings, I'm picturing him there with a, with a big grin on his face as he says it. I, I can't find a scripture for that. My dad once pointed out, uh, you know, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. In contrast, we never hear about Jesus laughing in scripture. We, we don't get much that he was uh, much, of, much of a comedic person, but I can't imagine the greetings of Jesus in verse 9 not being accompanied by this, this big grin. You know, ye of little faith. God dropped by. It's my favorite part of our text from Matthew this morning, and it gives me some hope for when I'm running a little low on faith myself. Because that couldn't match anything that, disciples were going through on the Saturday between Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday when God was dead. But he wasn't. And by the way, here's my second favorite part of Matthew's account of the resurrection. It shows up in the second part of verse 9. It starts with and. And it takes us to a whole other place with the text. Read the text with me again. They came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Once again, because Jesus beat death, brothers and sisters, Christ's followers, what did they do? They worshipped him. They worshipped him. They worshipped him. Contrary to what some groups may try to tell you, they didn't just admire him. They didn't just think he was a great guy. They didn't just think, great, great trick teacher. <laughs> what a great guy you are. You must be some kind of angel. No, his people, the Christ followers, worshipped him. Not everyone takes this from the text. Not everyone believes this. It's interesting. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was at the uh, parsonage working on, uh, uh, actually, my sermon for Resurrection Sunday. It wasn't the same one, though, just in case you want. I was called on by a, a couple members of one very prominent cult. And I found myself standing at the front door uh, being asked if I'd like information about the end times. And meanwhile, there's this big Church of Christ sign in, in the front yard. You know, I thought that was a little strange, but I, I just sort of responded, you know, knowing that the cult 
didn't believe in the divinity of Jesus, I responded with, no, but I'm working on a message right now for Sunday about the worship of Jesus Christ. Would you like to hear some of it? They said no. <laughs> You've got to hand it to them, though. Not, not many people will, will break for a sign in the yard that, you know, has a different group. But beating death is what proves Jesus to be divine. So that's what does it. What's the point otherwise? Scripture corroborates the proper response to the Son of Man to follow like the disciples did. The ones the Bible says fell to his feet and worshipped. Because before Abraham was born, Jesus was the great I am, and Jesus proved it. This was how he proved it. But plenty of would-be messiahs before and after and since making plenty of uh, claims about who they were, usually on the planet somewhere, somebody says, I am he. But only Jesus of Nazareth actually, historically, has backed up his story with action. Good Friday, we, we say, you know, we sing that song, we think about hallelujah for the cross, but we find the reason for the tune at the resurrection. Because rock, paper, scissors, and Jesus beats death. But there was nothing illusory about what God has done in real time. Uh, it's not meant to confuse us about God, but again, it gives us hope, doesn't it? It gives us hope right now in the present the trials, the times when we're running low, gives us hope for the future. It doesn't have to end for us. Our God has walked in our shoes. He knows the way. I don't have anything holding me back as his follower. God, you, you don't know what it's like. Can't be said by any Christian. Let's take note of four little words Jesus says to us in verse 10 of our text. The same four little words the angel spoke in verse 5. Do not be afraid. Obviously, good advice for the disciples. Luke 24, 37 says they, they thought they'd seen a ghost. But those four little words, do not be afraid, those are words that, that we need to hear today as well. Because we live in a world in which the people around us will increasingly tell us that this person whose name we have on our sign out front, not Elijah Ferris, the other guy, Christ Jesus, he's just one in a million, one of a dozen. He's just a myth. He's just a carbon copy. We can look at Jesus. We can, we can mock him like we do everyone else, and we want you to do the same. There are individuals who want you to laugh at or at least be very fearful regarding what you read in, in the Bible. They, they want you to think that all this talk about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, it's just been uh, concocted by the church. They want you to run as far as you can from even picking up a Bible and reading it at all. You'll hear something like this. Something from uh, someone from a, an academic standpoint may try to counter the biblical story with some kind of quote-unquote historical Jesus story. They'll say, I'll give you this man actually existed, okay? I'll agree he was a wise man. He taught a few uh, universal, pragmatic, reasonable principles on the subject of, of loving one another. But I'm not going to say he was divine. He didn't die on any cross for any sins or he rose up for any grave. Jesus was at best just a model instructor, a good teacher, like, like Buddha or Muhammad or Stephen Hawking. Unquote. 
The late Stephen Hawking, the brilliant Cambridge professor who once said, heaven is a fairy story for people afraid of the dark, was answered by equally brilliant Oxford professor John Lennox, who countered with, atheism is a fairy story for those afraid of the light. And I just love that. Don't be afraid of these people, my friends. Do Christ followers have an advantage over Buddhist, Islamist, the, the, the Hawkingist? Hawkingesian. I'm not sure. I'll think, I'll think on that some more. Now that I'm saying Christians are better people or that Christians have more value, but do we have an advantage? Absolutely. Jesus Christ has beat death. He's beat death. Not only has Jesus beat death to live again, Hebrews 7.25 says that Jesus, quote, lives to make intercession for his people. This is what he's doing right now. He wasn't as far more than just another moral or religious teacher. He wasn't as the giver of life. We've heard it said we can look for these other individuals, the living Buddha, not find him. We can look for the living Muhammad and not find him. Stephen Hawking is no longer with us. Mary Baker Eddy, founder of the Christian Science Religion, is still dead. And that's quite ironic because she taught that death doesn't exist. And the same thing goes for the guy that wrote the science fiction novels and invented the, tan, the tin can machine so he could get a lot of money out of Tom Cruise and John Travolta. That guy's still dead. Jesus Christ is left behind an empty tomb. Still. And this means that we who are in Christ have the hope of leaving behind an empty tomb as well. 1 Corinthians 15, 20. Here's the goodest news you'll ever hear because of Christ. Christians don't die. We don't die. And this is the gospel message that we pass on. And this is the whole reason we're here. If you're a skeptic this morning, maybe your skepticism has merit. Again, we've established the way to the whole Christian religion does hang on whether or not Jesus beat death. And let's, let's be honest, even, even the Jewish high priest at the time of Christ thought his followers might try to steal the body, right? Matthew 27, 64. But as far as someone taking the body of Christ from the grave at the time, forget it. As far as uh, an empty tomb, uh, you know, any sort of forgery going on here, it wasn't possible. And even secular historians would admit this conundrum. I've, I've talked through this before, but I'd like to go through it again. Uh, one historian notes that as part of this burial proceedings, and, and maybe we forget this today, Christ's body was covered in 100 pounds of spice and body wrap. Now, that's more cologne than the average teenage boy. <laughs> he was then placed in a solid rock tomb with an extremely large stone rolled against the entrance. Now, I don't mean Tony Russell manhandled some manhole cover over it. I, I mean the stone placed in front of the tomb came in the form of two tons of rock brought in by a lever system. A Roman guard of strictly disciplined fighting men was stationed to guard the entrance. And finally, the seal of Rome was placed upon the tomb, so if anyone tried to move the stone, they'd break the seal, they'd face the full wrath of the law. This isn't a case of a disciple feeling, I'm feeling cute, might break into a sealed Roman tomb later, I don't know. The Romans took measures to prevent vandals that would impress a modern church security team. Josh McDowell writes, Yet three days after his death and burial, the tomb was empty. 
The followers of Jesus claimed Jesus was risen from the grave. The man appeared to them during a period of 40 days. Paul the Apostle later counted his appearance before 500 people. The majority of those 500 people, those witnesses, were still alive, could confirm what Paul wrote. 500 people witnessed the risen Jesus. Not just a few people who compiled some books for the New Testament. There was, there was no faking the resurrection. And speaking of eyewitnesses, and this is probably my, my favorite couple of them. Maybe you've heard me say this before, because I have before. This is significant. Mary and Mary Magdalene gave their firsthand testimony First, and this was significant because first century Jewish and Roman cultures uh, famously regarded testimony given by women and, as, um, as unsubstantial and insignificant. And I apologize, ladies, that's just the way it was. And so uh, as investigative journalist and former atheist Lee Strobel notes, perpetrators of a hoax in first century Judea wouldn't have asked these two to sign off. The only explanation of Mary and Mary Magdalene as witnesses to the risen Christ is that they witnessed the risen Jesus Christ. Rock, paper, scissors, Jesus beats death. And so there's a reason why this morning we are the church of Christ. The church of Christ because only Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. And that's where we Two are headed, my friends. Unlike some other gods, the Christ who we worship, he is alive. He works in his church. He works through his church. I've been here uh, five years in August, and I promise you he works through his church. I've seen it. So this is why we confess him, like uh, my daughter Hannah did last week at her baptism as our Lord, God, and Savior. This is it, this morning. He's alive, he's working within us. We serve a risen Savior, amen? Talk about that goodest news just a little more. There's a story told of a little girl who, who lived next door to a cemetery, and, and I know some little girls like that. This situation is different. In the story, in order to go to the store, the little girl had to follow a path that led through the cemetery next to her house. But this little girl never seemed to have any sense of fear about her trip, even when she returned through the cemetery in the early evening. One day, a, a friend of the family asked her at the store, aren't you afraid to go through the cemetery? Oh no, she replied, I'm not afraid. For I know my home is just beyond. My friend, you don't need to fear the cemetery. You don't need to fear the grave. You don't need to fear death. If you follow Jesus Christ, you know your home is just beyond. And he's been there too. Jesus Christ had victory over death one day 2,000 years ago, and those of us who are in him one day will have victory over death as well. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord, today we, we come to you in, in celebration. We come to you, Lord, in, in, in 
and declaration of, of something that your word has spoken to us for centuries about. Lord, we, we live in a world in which we're all looking for something. God, we're all looking for some way of, of spending our time, of filling our, our life, something to follow, some ideology to grab a hold of. We're all looking for answers. Lord, we know your word says you are the answer. Lord, I pray that in all that we do, the resurrection would be fresh on our lips. I pray that people would recognize us because we've been given new life. Life that doesn't end. A life that offers us eternally more than anything in this world. Lord, we know that what you've given to us is far, far more than just life after death. But it's eternal life. It's life that is abundant living, kingdom living, in which we receive the promises you've offered. We become a new people in you. Lord, your mercy and your grace, it goes far beyond anything we can understand. We sinned, we continue to sin, and yet you continue to love us. You've left heaven for us. You sacrificed everything for us so that we could spend eternity with you. And Lord, I just pray that as we go from this place on this, on this Resurrection Sunday, that we would continue to bear that good news. Lord, we know that there's an alternative to the good news you've offered. And we don't want anyone to stay in that world. Help us, Lord. Help us to serve you, risen Savior, every day of our life. It is in that blessed holy name of Jesus Christ I pray these things. Amen.